Well, everybody, thanks for joining us on the podcast. We are uh, in this little <clears throat> mini-series talking about spirituality and mental health, and there are a whole stack of mental health professionals in our church, and I've got a couple of them here with me today, uh, right here to my right, Robert Williams. Hello. Hey. And Brittany Williams. Yes, Hey. Thanks so much for um, joining us. This is cool. Um, I'll tell you something you don't know yet. Um, I am notoriously bad at remembering names, like really bad. I make fun of myself about it because I'm so uncomfortable about it. I can only know to make jokes. I'm just really bad. And I try to do better. And so I do. I play little games to try to remember names. Uh, the uh, recently retired uh, superintendent of Blount County Schools is a guy named Rob Britt. And mm-hmm. um, your names are Robert and Brittany. And yeah. uh, when I met you, I think the second time, and I was embarrassed because I'd forgotten your names. Uh, I just, from now on, I just, I just picture your heads on his body, or, or vice versa, and I, that's how I can remember that. That's us. <laughs> it's that is really us. weird. <laughs> I'm just like desperate to just, remember names. Just a good image there, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's really funny. I, I particularly enjoy her head on on his body. That one's mm-hmm. that was the, mm-hmm. the most off putting and unsettling image. <laughs> <laughs> that it's like a filter. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brittany, let's have you go first. Tell us just uh, just give us a quick bio so people know who they're talking to mm-hmm. and kind of where you're coming from, type of work that you do, have done, just whatever you want us to know. Yeah. So I'm Brittany Williams, and I. Um, I was actually, I grew up here in Maryville, um, lived here the majority of my childhood and um, didn't move away until college. Um, so my family still lives here, um, mm-hmm. which has been really nice, uh, but moved away, went to North Carolina for college and then Johnson City for uh, grad school. Um, and that's where I got my PhD in psychology. Um, and then um, in psychology, it's interesting because you it's kind of like medical school where you go into a lottery and then <clears throat> they sort of pick where you go for your clinical training. And okay. so they picked for us I to would go. Hate that. That just it's really nerve wracking, so un- like out of control. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get to choose where you interview and or where you apply and, and then you get interviewed. And then after that, it really is a lottery system. And so. We moved to Pennsylvania, which we never thought we would live in Pennsylvania, but Uh that's, and not just Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania is a pretty rural area. Um, It's a town of 4,000 people, pretty small. Um, So we, we actually moved up there. We loved it and we stayed Mm -hmm. up there for a while um, until we had two children and then COVID hit and we were pretty isolated and lonely Mm -hmm. um, and we needed help. So we moved back here to Maryville, yeah, yeah, to be closer yeah. to family mm-hmm. and to get some support from our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think COVID really highlighted for us that family was really important to us too, and we wanted to be closer. So, yeah. um, made the, as many people did during COVID, made yes. a whole career, life, mm-hmm. cross country mm-hmm. change and move. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been really good since yeah. we've been back. Yeah. It, yeah, it had a way of saying, okay, what are, what are we about? What's yeah. the most important to us? Exactly. What do we yeah. value the most? Yeah. How are we hurting? Where can we yeah. find what we need? Yep. That's good. Well, yeah. thank you, Robert. How yeah. about you, ma'am? Sure. Yeah, I, um, I'm i not from Maryville, but I'm from outside Nashville, Middle Tennessee. Um, moved over here to the Knoxville area, went to UT. Um, I sometimes get the reputation of being the guy always wearing orange, even though yeah. I'm not like a big football person. I just really, I just like the orange. So I always like have UT something. Orange, like UT orange? UT, you know. Obnoxiously bright UT Like I've orange. looked up the hex code and all <laughs> that, it. you know, kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, but I, I, I loved it there. Got my bachelor's and master's uh, there. Uh, went, went in the social work, not um, psychology. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, got my education there. Was total weirdo dating online and met my wife there. Oh, yeah, I didn't even mention how we met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that wasn't part of my story. I just think the total we, weirdo tag on that just has to go. Like, it actually so wasn't normal. that weird. It was what just feels weird now. Was like we met in person at a place, right? Face to face. Right. It's like you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How how fascinating? How does that yeah. work? So, I think it was no, kind of no just weird it worked out. But yeah, it, oh, 20, yeah, 2011, yeah. it was it was not oh, typical. Oh, 2011 it was weird. It yeah. was kind of weird. Yeah. 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 But we did it and we succeeded. It worked out. Yeah. In the 
big scheme <laughs> of things, yeah. So we, yeah, so we got together. Um, obviously, we both recognized we had an interest in mental health, so that was a bonding point, and mm-hmm. interest in faith, and so of course that was important. Um, got married in like a year, and then <laughs> Brittany's like program has us moving around, you know, like she said, Johnson City, and then up to Pennsylvania. Um, and then my my background, I. I don't have like a a doctorate or anything like that, but with the clinical license in my experience, I wanted to have um, some really good quality um, therapy experience, which I can tell more about later. But mm-hmm. long story short, she was involved in this program <laughs> at the first job I had with my uh, master's, which was uh, uh, teaching this like group therapy for folks with like kind of uh, – self-injury and oh. suicide high-risk you know teens Ooh. and i got into it and of course everyone's like this is super weird and i was like no 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 this is great oh. i need this i love it i really like the structure but i liked all the components and yeah ended up like doing that ended up being a very important like uh element i took with me throughout mm-hmm. you know the last several years mm-hmm. wow that's interesting you know i was <laughs> i actually ended up before uh right after i graduated uh, from college, I ended up in a clinical setting doing therapy. Mm. Not qualified at all. <laughs> you guys are not qualified. I hadn't done any of those things. I was just, I think they were desperate. And then, and then But I'm in this clinical setting and I had to do a group uh, like a like a group therapy session, mm. and it we and it was primarily about and it was with teens, just like you said, and we were talking about self harm, and I just remember thinking, I'm drowning. I am mm. drowning. Mm. We're talking about their them being distraught, and I was like, I'm definitely the most distraught person in this circle. <laughs> and so it just goes to show God wires up people a little bit differently because you were like, yep, this is it. And me, I was like, never again. Yeah. That's <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned kids. Tell us yeah. uh, ages and yeah. names and such. We have two kids. Two kids. Uh, a two-year-old named Isla and a four-year-old named Bennett. Mm. Nice. So we're very busy four and two is wild yeah it's tired yeah. tired parents we have four and two for a minute and that i mean for about a year i guess and it was oh man we we, we sometimes reference four and two it's like remember four and two it's like oh yeah i remember four yeah. and two so i i <laughs> i hear you on that mm-hmm. it's amazing you guys look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and i'm impressed it's because we have help and we moved here and <laughs> yeah. we have support grandparents and yeah, yeah yeah they're absolutely awesome. melatonin gummies yeah melatonin gummies at night <laughs> whatever it takes yeah. man yeah. whatever it takes so it's pretty unique so hmm. i you guys i think are just a fascinating scenario what is it like to be a mental health professional while being married to a mental health professional like does that have, that's got to have some strange dynamics? Yeah, I had to learn some rules very early on, and they t- they still took a while to settle in. Like the first place that I went, like I said, I worked at, and she was you were interning there. What were you doing there? Yeah, I had like a practicum at that. That's it. Yeah, yeah, there. Mm-hmm. And so my thing is like. Oh wow! Here's this real juicy thing. I want to get consultation. Mm-hmm. Oh, and here's here's this you know hot gal. I'm definitely gonna <laughs> consult with her. And she's like, Oh my gosh, please, can I not talk to my husband about like <laughs> suicide cases or something like right. that? Can I just like compartmentalize that away? Gotcha. So but, it was like, Yeah, we're gonna bring work home, and we're gonna. And he was like, Nope. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think those lines were really hard for me. You know, in grad school, you, you just like devote all of yourself into grad school to learning Mm. and so it was hard for me to create boundaries Mm -hmm. just because I was so curious about what I was learning and wanted to continue to learn and wanted to talk to my husband about that but it was really overwhelming Mm, Um, and so I think we learned a few things over the years like one of the things we learned is that we should not work at the same company we've done that a couple different times and the lines between home and work and creating boundaries are just more difficult when you do that Mm. versus if you work at different companies you know we protect our clients privacy and we're not in the same consultation groups and things like that so there's a there's clearer boundaries there and um that's one thing that we learn and we really stick to is that we we should not work for this this and you're not just like filling up my my tendency we're in a car ride and it's quiet she's like great and my thought is it's quiet. Like let's talk about something. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's good though if you fill up that quiet time with something 
like about us or about your goals or your dreams and not like, oh, wow, this like crazy benefit went away at work or uh-huh. some work drama or something. Sure. Yeah. So that was. I can relate on, on some levels, just a bit of over. I'm a pastor married to a pastor, mm. and uh, we had to fight for those boundaries too. Mm-hmm. And then also not make them so hard and fast because um, our this isn't just a job for us. So it's like, yeah. actually, our church community and our family here, we, we don't want to just not ever talk about that when we're right. at home because that's, a, mm. that, that's not a boundary we want to even maintain. And so we have to sort of figure out this sort of semi-permeable Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but beyond just that, I find myself like trying to. Maybe you guys can relate to this. When Sharon needs something from me, I'm thinking, does she need? Do I need to be in spouse mode right mm-hmm. now, or do I need to be in pastor mode? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you guys find yourselves having to switch hats? Okay, I'm going to be a spouse. I'm gonna. I'm actually going to going to do some therapy. <laughs> like, do you feel that tension at all? It's difficult because we are both very intellectual people, mm-hmm. and when you're doing therapy with someone I think what's protective for the therapist is that you are somewhat intellectual you have to think about not just what the client's bringing in that moment but also like what how you're going to help them and like how you're seeing the problem and 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 how you're going to help them navigate through that and so you have to stay a little bit intellectual so and part of the emotions yeah so part of the challenge (laughs) of being a partner like being married is that staying intellectual can really be harmful. And so Uh (laughs) we've had to learn uh, the hard way, I would say, of Uh like how to be better um, partners for each other and be more emotional and supportive in that way. Yeah, so can you you like, you catch the other person being like, oh, you're you're staying intellectual here and I'm wanting you to connect with me emotionally? Is that... We've definitely had, and it's it's... I feel like I'm usually the one at fault with this one, but like we've definitely had some conversations where it's been like, okay, you're trying to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. You want to go and like call someone or email someone like, please don't mm-hmm. like, can I just talk to you about it? And can you just be there? Like, mm-hmm. like, and, and I think both of us have been in that role, like or swapped at times where it's like, I actually don't want you to, <laughs> to think at all. Like, I just uh-huh. want you to listen and like, like just be there, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that like kind of goes against the the reflex, um, mm-hmm. yeah. That makes sense. So, uh, mm-hmm. Brittany, we talked a while back, and you were explaining that, and I didn't fully understand it. <laughs> you did a great job. <laughs> this is my own. This is my own limitations. You were you were explaining how um, you you guys are both mental health professionals, but mm-hmm. you kind of practice a different kind of modality. You different different styles of how you help people, or different areas of expertise, and. So, um, can you, can you explain what that distinction is or either of you help me? Yeah, I would say we're sort of in the same branch, but we, um, feel passionate about different populations. So, um, Rob, like he mentioned, feels really passionate about working with people who feel, um, or have chronically suicidal thoughts or Mm. have a history of self-injury and things like that. And there's a specific um, modality that's used for that that's recommended for those um, type of problems called dialectical behavior therapy mm-hmm. and um, I my the history uh, of sort of like my career trajectory has been working with people in healthcare settings and so I did a lot of work in oncology working with cancer patients and um, also worked in cardiology and just like general health problems and mm-hmm. helping people navigate um, living with a chronic medical condition and also yeah. um, mm-hmm helping them with their mental health, you know, yeah. through those. So, um, a lot can of, can I interrupt you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> just, just so you can repeat it because my mind was blown. You worked with how many people all at once? Like it was at like seven different locations and, yeah, all, all, and trying to help through the most, <laughs> what sounded like the most difficult times yeah. as people are dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I was basically in charge of, there were 17 cancer clinics and they really hadn't had, any mental health providers. Um, so how big was the team of therapists that you're working with for those seven? It was me <laughs> and like a couple interns. So really, <laughs> really impossible. Is it? Yeah, it's an impossible task. Uh-huh. Um, but to your point, like with really hard um, personal um, challenges that people were going through. So it was really heavy work. Um, mm. We did a lot of work with helping people prepare for for dying and that was really heavy mm-hmm. um but also super important um and so 
it just spread really thin and didn't have, um, you know, the, the capacity to really help people in the way that we wanted, um, yeah. up there. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so intense. I yeah. cannot yeah. imagine. It's like the movie, the part in the movie where they're like, oh, the reinforcements aren't coming. You know, that's us. Kind of. yeah. just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it worsened, you know, and then COVID, and COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and yeah. all of our um, patients in the cancer center still came in. I mean, they still had to come in for cancer treatments. It's not like mm-hmm. you could, everybody was able to just stay home. And that was a really scary time for mm. a lot of people with cancer and navigating yeah. COVID. And um, yeah. yeah. Guys, was what really was it like having your jobs during COVID? I mean, what happened? It sounds like it would be so intense. It was pretty intense. We both were sent home. Um, so we did teletherapy for a while mm-hmm. at the beginning of COVID. I found out I was pregnant with Isla a week after we were sent home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was grateful, uh, to be honest, because I was pregnant and sick and mm-hmm. be able to put my feet up you know, during the day and also yeah. see clients. Um, but it was pretty isolating. We didn't have a lot of community up there that church that we were a part of up in Pennsylvania wasn't super supportive during COVID. Um, and so we just felt very alone. Um, and then, and then we're trying really hard to help people in the work that we were doing in mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, it's almost as if people who work in mental health, um, have all the same challenges as everybody else. And when the intensity of COVID just cranks everything up, while somehow cranking everything down at the same time, and we're all just sort of in that vice, like you're right in that same spot, but then also trying to trying to help people navigate the very things that you're facing. Mm-hmm. I, I would think yeah. in your in your roles, a lot of times you're you're hearing people as they're describing their problems, maybe more so than ever they're describing your problems. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And we're big mm-hmm. proponents of going to therapy. I think the challenge for mental health providers is when you live in a community, mm-hmm. you typically know the therapist in the community too. So mm-hmm. you can't go see your colleague for your own mental health problems. Yeah. Um, so it becomes challenging to find um, good mental health care as a mental health provider. Yeah. Or, the, or if you're like me and you kind of become a bit of a snob and you're just like, oh, you know you're way overpriced or yeah <laughs> hypnotism won't do it or well, I don't know, whatever that's not the right way yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's uh, well that's kind of close to something it, it, like i'm so confused by frankly you guys don't have to solve this problem for me right now but they're like these different therapeutic modalities like mm-hmm. different approaches mm-hmm. that people take sure and it's really confusing mm-hmm. um yeah. i was thinking about it and i was like i think that's how maybe someone new to the faith feels about denominations in the mm. church it's like well they're all about jesus but they're all just a little different mm-hmm. and some of them are a lot different and sometimes they don't agree with one another right. but they have the same foundation like it's really confusing and i you know I, I'm, I'm wondering if you know is, is does that sound like a fair parallel mm-hmm. <laughs> with denominations in a church mm-hmm. um and so yeah it you know i just um I'm actually pretty excited about it because I, th- I think it's kind of interesting. But I just ordered a big, thick book explaining these modalities through a Christian perspective. And I haven't even got it yet. Um, but, like, most people aren't going to buy that book. And w- it remains <laughs> Pro- to be seen if not, I'll yeah. even read it. So, uh, <laughs> most people just aren't. It's hard to kind of cut through all of that and and see the forest for the trees if someone is like maybe listening and they think you know i think i might need somebody to help me process and work through some stuff like how do you how do you start even i mean if you don't know all the whole lexicon of terms um any thoughts about where someone could begin or or how they should try to find the right spot Hmm. i i i can't help but think like if you start going and looking up therapy, the the easy answer for me would be is what not to look for. Okay. And so, like like a lot of things, like if you watch movies and you are like, oh wow, you know, here's Goodwill Hunting and you know Robin Williams is hugging Matt Damon or something like that, or uh-huh. you know, there's like a lot of dramatic stuff with like the therapist falling in love with the client, like stuff like that is fun for movies. But uh-huh. really what you need is a professional uh-huh. and you want someone who seems to like not to kind of step away from my 
specifics with therapy, but like you want someone who prioritizes your goals, wants to help you get better as soon as you can. They're not Mm. just trying to get you in for as many sessions as possible or, you know, like they're reasonable. And so a lot of times when I'm talking with clients, they're like, well, I've been seeing a a psychiatrist and they put me on like 12 meds and I have eight diagnoses Mm -hmm. and I haven't gotten better. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, how long have you been seeing them? You know, 12 years. I say, this is a crime. <laughs> like, yeah. run away. Yeah. You know, or or if you're going, and I'm bad sometimes about getting on a roll talking in therapy, but I'm like, if you're going and your therapist is talking about their beliefs and their issues, uh-huh. like, why are you paying them? Mm-hmm. You know, so, so that's like the big thing. And a lot of the flashy stuff you hear on TikTok or Instagram or you know the uh, the Netflix thing. So you know, mm-hmm. if it's if it's super trendy and new and flashy, I'm always like be skeptical first. Yeah, because good. the ways that you manage mental health, most of the time they're not glamorous, mm-hmm. and they require a lot of discipline and boring stuff like exercising regularly and uh-huh. you know having a social network. Not not online, but like literally like. <laughs> humans yes. that you talk to yes. and um taking care of your, your your health going outside and like good old like behavior approaches will will do that like I, a lot of people are familiar with cbt cognitive behavior therapy yeah my kind of specialty dbt or dialectical behavior therapy if you start reading through those books it's it's going to be a lot of stuff where people go oh this isn't like mysterious yeah. i mean you're you're basically just telling me to do stuff that i've always been told to do it's like solid advice i could yeah you know yeah learn from grandma or the farmer's almanac <laughs> like, right. Is, right yeah the the main thing i'll say is that good therapy will basically they try to encourage you to do things that you know are healthy and helpful mm-hmm. not go against your values so much but maybe like reframe it redirect your energy sometimes from unhelpful things mm-hmm. and they're usually good at helping you with self-awareness mm. like oh wow like i i've been doing this this way for so long why am i doing this uh-huh. you know why why do i eat tons of you know junk food or why do i you know drink all the time or mm-hmm. why do i go from one relationship to the next mm-hmm. if, if you don't feel equipped if you don't feel like you know or i'm panicking mm-hmm. what what does that mean to have a panic attack like what does yeah. that mean for me yeah, and so good therapy should be if it's done well. Uh, I used to hear this: I should put myself out of a job. Yeah, and for and, sure. And what I do now is a EAP, you know, employee assistance. Per, well, most of my clients are. Mm-hmm. And I tell them like, if you see me for six sessions and you don't feel any better, like I've done you wrong. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> for the most part, I, right? You know, there's always going to be some exception. So that's that's kind of my take is that just sounds really reasonable and level-headed like let's not look for things that are flashy or hot or (laughs) new or hyper dramatic or magical thinking Mm -hmm. or mystical secret properties like any of those things should be should be flags that sounds really really wise Mm -hmm. what about you Brittany? would you add to that or yeah i think the other thing to mention is that the majority of people have barriers to who they can go see based on their Mm. insurance and based on how much they're able to pay for services. And so I guess my thought is as a therapist, if someone is brave enough to tell me I'm not getting what I need or these are Mm. my goals and we're not talking about them, Mm. then I think to me, I I really value that as a therapist because uh-huh. my priority is to my client and what they're there for, what they're coming in for, what they're paying mm-hmm. for. Um, and so if you're limited, like if you don't have very many options within your insurance or what mm-hmm. you're able to afford, it's important to make sure you're speaking up for why you're there and what you need from your therapist because mm-hmm. you're paying them to help you. Yeah. And I think a lot of people go in just hoping that the therapist is able to do something magical and, and uh-huh. <laughs> really yeah. that, that spending 45 minutes with a therapist each week is, is really magical and is going to change their life. And mm-hmm. it really is. I'm here to say <laughs> nothing we do is magical. You can't, fix, yeah. you really. can't just yeah, yeah. wave a wand and no. fix us. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, but I do think the yeah. money thing is a huge barrier for many, sure. many people. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, 
It really, it, yeah. it, it really is. Yeah. It is for a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, well, I've heard some people say something along the lines of what what really matters more than anything else is that you you make a you make a personal connection or you develop rapport. And mm. I hear the logic of that, but I sometimes I get a little bit I get a little bit concerned because I think it's it's not like rent a friend, you know, like <laughs> right. that's not what we're trying to do. Um, so what what would you say about that? Just that mentality. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll say this. And I don't want to like throw shade on anybody in particular, so I'll try to navigate this gently. <laughs> good luck, they're, we're all, they're now everyone's really listening. <laughs> I'm always good at like preambling the thing I don't want to do, but yeah. Um, when I hear a lot of people who are looking for therapists now, especially since COVID, you know, there was some some like apps and virtual therapists before that, but now it's like the norm, fifty like percent mm-hmm. or something is like mm-hmm. online therapy, um, if not more. And it's it's like a common trend now that you have this idea. I literally worked at a company where you were like incentivized to send messages to your clients every day, kind of like encourage them, and they could message you throughout the week. And mm-hmm. I get it in the sense of like you're trying to have this like pro like social like healthy interaction, right? And you're like, oh, I've. And and you get a subscription to your therapist. It's kind of like uh-huh. I get a subscription to Netflix. Now I got my therapist. I, I'm mm. covered. Interesting. But I feel like the problem is, is you start to think like, well, now that I'm set up, like everything is just gonna you, you know start rolling smoothly. And you still have to worry about <laughs> your, your therapist skills, their availability, mm-hmm. and really like you don't want you don't want to figure out how to become self-aware and independent in your own life by having your therapist, you know, on the text on ready, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, should I do this? That seems like it fosters dependence instead of yes. independence. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I would run into that a lot. I mean, it's always a struggle with therapy. People will say in consultation, like, yeah, you know, I've been seeing this person for a while. They really need to, they're just lonely. They need to, you know, move on. Mm. So some of these kind of newer trends with, having the subscription thing and the, the the therapist can text you or message you throughout anytime you want. I don't know. I feel like that kind of further muddies the line. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It sounds like maybe the way I think about, sorry. Um, the way I think I tend to think about church online, which is like, this is good. I'm Mm -hmm. glad we have this. There are so many concessions. I don't know how I feel about this. You know, yeah. like there's it's a, there's like a give and a take to it. What were we going to yeah. say? Brittany, I, well, I was going to say, I, I do think it's important for people to feel connected to their therapist because mm-hmm. the reason why is because it is really scary to look inward. It's yeah. scary to identify mm-hmm. what your thoughts are and be honest about that or notice how you're doing things in your life that aren't helping you and serving you and being honest about that. And so to develop a relationship with your therapist in order to build safety, I think is critical to therapy. So I, I agree in the sense that like just having a therapist as a friend, someone to chat with who you feel mm-hmm. comfortable with in that way um, is not the purpose of what we do in therapy, but mm-hmm. it is critical to have a connection with your therapist and feel safe there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise mm-hmm. we, we as humans do things to avoid looking inward and so it's really a difficult process. And we, we really are going to be successful with that when we feel comfortable with a therapist that we're with to, yeah, to dive inward. Yeah. You're trying to establish some measure of trust. You yeah, have to open up. Totally. And so, yeah, there's yeah. a balance there, I guess. I mean, Robert was, uh, was nodding vigorously while you were talking. So there's, there's definitely a, a tension there. You don't want to be overly reliant or yeah. dependent. But then you, there's got to be some measure of trust mm-hmm. or you're just not going to open up and be able to get anything done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I should I should add, I guess, just to like as much as I'm not like crazy about having like no boundaries like with, with a therapist and you can just mm-hmm. like be a friend. You don't want them to just be a friend, mm-hmm. but you want them to be friendly. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I I've heard a lot of folks who've had bad experiences with their therapists, um you know, basically they just don't feel respected by their therapist. And even if I if, if I have a client who does something and I'm like, I don't know, like that's kind of weird or, mm-hmm. or, you know, why are you cheating on your spouse or something? Mm-hmm. It's not my place to be the person that also shames them and makes them feel yeah. awful. My place is 
hey, you may have never talked about this with another soul, mm. and you're not sure if you're going to. <laughs> mm. So let us like be in this icky place together. So yeah, yeah, you've got to have some level of comfort and, and respect, mm. you know, for the person's humanity, right? You know, regardless of the issue. Yeah. Yeah. So when I try to put some of this together, it's like, and this is where my mind goes. It's like. There's, there's this. Is, it's nuanced. It's multifaceted. There are different modalities. There are different personalities. There's mm-hmm. different connections that you may or may not make. Um, and like you might, you might just have to try for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, my context is church, so I think in terms of church. But like, yeah. um, there have been plenty of people who are like, "Yeah, I went to a small group. It wasn't really a fit." Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, "Yeah, it's often not." <laughs> Here's a list of a whole bunch of other ones. <laughs> Try yeah. again. Hmm. Um, and if we value something, it's worth it's worth pursuing. And so don't be, I would say, don't be discouraged that the first one isn't like this magic. Right. Well, we've already said magic's not part. You guys aren't magicians. So yeah. let's, yeah. Not, let's yeah. take all the wizardry out of it. But if it's not a clear fit. That's okay. There's um, There are other options. Yeah. So, um, all right. Let me, again, I, it's, I, I never know if this is just, my own perception it just the world seems to me like people are dealing with anxiety and depression Mm. now yeah and it just seems so elevated from where it was i'm being vague on purpose a few years ago Mm -hmm. and and maybe it's just my experience and who i've been bumping into or the conversations maybe i've got eyes that are looking for it now and there's biases but it seems for the world them to me that people are just more overcome by stress and anxiety and, and fear and, and 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 depression, it just feels like it's it's a different context than it was a few years ago. And I th- I, for me, at least, I can I can certainly highlight COVID as a force multiplier in that. But I I, I would even go back before then and go and things have to my eyes at least, have really been shifting. Are you guys feeling that, or am I just am I reading between the lines too much? Is that your observation? <laughs> yes, I yeah, would say yes. Definitely. It's definitely increased over the years, and I think, to your point, multiplied with COVID. Um, but, you know, some of the research, particularly around depression and anxiety, shows us that the, the key factor and a protective factor against those two things is community is mm-hmm. people being in contact with one another and feeling safe in community. And COVID really tore that away from people yeah. um, and shut people away from their communities. Um, and I would say before that, you know, through political turmoil, mm-hmm. there's there's lots of breakdown of community that we've seen even before COVID too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. it's certainly, certainly been on the rise over the last few years. Definitely. Yeah, I have, I have so many folks who are, you know, they're on different, ends of the spectrum with their religious beliefs, their political, you know, mm-hmm. even just their perspectives on mental health and everything. Mm-hmm. And a big thing I'll, I'll usually get, if not the first session I'll ask them about is, you know, what are their fears? Because their fear is really like, to me, your fear tells me what's important to you and what what's at risk, you know? And I think for so many people the last few years, there was a lot of cards on the table and then someone just like lit the match or whatever, Yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, just rampant isolation, lots of illness, lots of, lots of changes at once. I'm not going to blame just COVID or economics or politics, but just a lot of things at once Mm -hmm. shifting and uh, like, like fear of war and different things around the world. So there's a lot of stuff going on. People are afraid and when you're isolated and you're afraid, it's very common to really get in your head, like mm-hmm. Brittany said. But also, like, I can start inventing fears about you or, or her mm-hmm. or anybody, you know. And now we're all against each other. Mm-hmm. And if we if we just had that tendency to, you know, have community, then it would it would yeah it would very much safeguard us from some of that. Yeah. I do want to be clear, though, there is a distinct difference between anxiety and depression and yeah. sadness mm-hmm. and worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, right? I would love it if you helped us sort of <laughs> yeah. parse those things out. Vocabulary. Because yeah. yeah. what we don't want people to hear is that community will solve the problem of ever feeling sad or ever mm-hmm. feeling worried. Mm-hmm. But rather, like, depression is a, is a, is a problem of uh, 
patterns of avoidance and thinking negatively and getting in a cycle of feeling down and isolating yeah. um, to reach the point of you know clinical depression. So that that's what we mean. Um, not that if you live in community um, or if that you are vulnerable and you open up to the people around you that you would never feel sad um, right. because that is part of the human experience. Yes, that's it how is. God made us. Yeah. Same with worry that we, we worry about things and um, mm. that is part of the human condition, but it's not clinical anxiety, which is right. a pattern of avoidance and constant fear and worry um, that takes you away from the present moment. Yeah. So you were sort of already starting in on the question I was about to ask as a follow up to that, which mm. is what types of things should we be looking just in ourselves to say, OK, I'm 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 becoming more worried or I'm becoming more fearful uh, or more sad. Is that just more the human experience and the ebbs and flows or, or at what point should I be concerned? You, you talked about patterns or mm-hmm. so uh, like what types of things would we be looking for to go, OK, this is. Maybe maybe I might need some help. One of the patterns that I look for first is really, are you engaging in your life in the way that you want to? So is your worry or sadness or whatever internal experience that you're having, is that preventing you from living a life that's meaningful to you or one that you want to be living? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that whatever emotion you're feeling or whatever thoughts you're having or whatever is is preventing you from from living a meaningful life. Um, yeah, like not not going in public, yeah. not feeling comfortable driving, not wanting to go back to work, mm-hmm. like things that if you really allow to like dictate your not, not wanting to go back out to I date or go to the grocery store, I mean, different things. But like it really does feel like Oh, someone just like chopped this whole section of my life away. Mm. If I just if I just listen to that fear, I just mm-hmm. listen to those thoughts. Um, you know, yeah, so like normal behaviors becoming cumbersome, or mm-hmm. even yeah. you start to avoid those things. Whereas mm-hmm. in the past that wouldn't have been the reality. Mm-hmm. Like right. your life is shifting around mm-hmm. in an ongoing way. Not I woke up today feeling kind of blue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Oh wait, I woke up. I've been waking up that way for a long time and mm-hmm. I've been isolating and I'm living a different kind of life and it's affecting the the day to day. Yeah. 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 I think you can see a shift in people's thought patterns too that mm. people tend to be more um I I just say mean to themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's not an allowance for the human mm-hmm. emotional experience. So like if you wake up sad, I should not feel this way. Yeah. Things yeah. should be different or, you know, um I I think just adding that layer of like self-blame or self-evaluation mm-hmm. is leading towards the path of of depression. Um Yeah. So yeah. I've yeah. never had any luck telling myself how to feel. Right, just, just what it feel is. the same way, and then I add disappointment in myself yeah. for not being able to control the way I feel. Yeah, <laughs> we call it clean. I always call it clean versus dirty pain. Like being a human is mm. painful. Okay, yeah. um, and that's clean pain. That's that's part of the gig of being human. Uh-huh. But there's so many things that we do that make it worse, and mm-hmm. that's the dirty pain. That's the disappointment that we add on top of it, mm. or the self judgment, um, yeah. or the isolating. Um, and not enjoying life, you know, as much as we could. That's the dirty pain. And that's what we work with in therapy. We don't Mm. sugarcoat or try to pretend like we can change the human experience where you'll never feel sad again. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can reduce the amount that, that, you know, it's worsened Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, or or sort of self-blame and things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, that's. Re- I think that clean and dirty pain is a really helpful distinction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it, what you're saying is, it, this goes back to something Sharon and I talked about on a podcast about a therapeutic worldview, mm-hmm. um, which is something entirely different than being in favor of therapy, um, it, and it's it's something different than having a Christian worldview, which in my eyes is the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And Christian worldview absolutely holds space for therapy, but. The therapeutic worldview, at least the way we kind of framed it up on on the podcast we did a couple of weeks ago, um, is is the uh, is the idea of peace at all costs. Just mm-hmm. feel okay. Mm-hmm. Just feel comfort. Don't mm-hmm. feel bad. And um, Sharon and I on the uh, we're discussing how like um, no reasonable therapist would ever make that goal in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the, that's part of the problem with the ther- the label therapeutic worldview because people think it's you know about being for or against therapy, but. 
any reasonable therapist is going to say, yeah, actually, life has pain. Mm -hmm. And there's actually, that can be part of what heals us and motivates us and helps us move forward. And yeah. um, and then, so that, that dirty, clean distinction, I think, is really... That's mm -hmm. that's helpful shorthand. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's that's good. So um, mm -hmm. let's let's shift gears just a bit here, sure. and let's let's talk about mental health and spirituality. And you guys have both sort of shared some stories uh, at points about hmm. how being a, a, a mental health professional, being someone who's deeply committed to their faith, um, these things should be perfectly simpatico, and yet sometimes. Um, those realities uh, have, have bumped into one another. Um, Brittany, I remember you telling me, I think it was when you were getting your PhD. Mm -hmm. would, you, would you be willing to share that story with us? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I knew that I wanted to become, become a psychologist. <laughs> probably, I was probably in high school. Um, mm -hmm. So I knew that I wanted to get my PhD in psychology. Um, and so I entered that program, I think, with like bright eyes. Like, yes, this is going to be awesome. And also as a Christian um, mm -hmm. into that program and what i quickly found was that there is a clear distinction between secular counseling and biblical counseling mm -hmm. and so i was caught in between two worlds to be honest where yeah. we were very deeply involved in our church at the time mm -hmm. and i was totally invested in learning and becoming a psychologist in my mm -hmm. very secular program in johnson city and so um I had both ends. I had people at my church telling me that I was sinning because I was getting a degree in psychology at a secular university. Um, and then I had people at my at my university, classmates, tell me that I was stupid for believing in God. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. And so... So you're getting it from both sides. I was getting it from both sides. <laughs> and it really does, you know, like when you are learning, it really does make you stop and question. Like, because my faith was most important to me, mm -hmm. it made me question, you know, am I sinning? What am I doing? Mm. You know, what does God want me to be doing? And um, instead of quitting, which is what I was encouraged to do from my, by, by people in my church, um, mm. I decided to um, meld the two together. Um, on my own to do even more studying and more learning yeah, so that I could you. find the commonalities and Truth luckily, never runs from scrutiny. Exactly. Yeah. Job. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Stands the test. Um, so I found a mentor actually, who was a psychologist and a Christian. Mm -hmm. He introduced me to some resources that really showed that there is nothing new under the sun. So, you know, mm -hmm. all the therapeutic models that we use, um, we can find, um, the basis of those things from scripture and what mm -hmm. God says about human nature. Um, I also believe that science continually and, you know, like all the research we do in psychology and the things we find out and are so amazed by, um, are, are, are again, like point to scripture. There's nothing that we have found that says God is wrong. So uh -huh. to, to your point, like standing the test, it certainly does. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the only thing that did for me was sort of solidify my faith. And it also solidified that this is where I need to be in the secular um, mm. space, yeah. helping people um, navigate the difficulties of life um, and not setting myself aside as only um, a biblical counselor of which is mm -hmm. which is essentially uh counseling from the bible using scripture right. to to counsel yeah. um now it's interesting because i really believe that god puts people in our lives um mm -hmm. who need to be there and so god has has funneled people my way and into my practice who i've had amazing conversations about faith and mental health and um mm -hmm. have helped people grow spiritually um yeah. in mm -hmm. conversations and have prayed with my clients before so mm -hmm. Just because I am a secular counselor and I meet with a, lot, a variety of different people from all walks of life does not mean that God isn't powerful enough to bring people into my Absolutely. practice who I can help and, and yeah. pray with. And I hate that even now there. there's almost there's almost a, a, a defensive, poly, a, almost slightly apologetic tone to what you're saying. Yeah. Like it just yeah. shouldn't be that way. Yeah, like I have to, uh, I have to justify uh -huh. what I'm doing. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, which is yeah, which is really unfortunate. And then, uh, you 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 you, I'm gonna go for it. I might we might end up cutting this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. But it's <clears throat> a good one. Um, and it might be a soapbox for you guys too. But um, and I, I I do not mean this as far as applying to absolutely everyone everywhere. Like no broads. I'm trying not to do that. But in some spots, I've seen I've heard biblical counseling framed up as. 
hey, we, um, we really believe in the beauty and the power of Scripture and its capacity to, to lead us and guide us, and it's, which, you know, um, which I love. Um, and then also we can, we can, we've learned from science, we've learned from observation, and we've learned from things that are measurable, and we can put those things together, and everything in me is like cheering them right along. And then I've heard other versions of biblical counseling, and specifically those two words put together, that says, we work from scripture, and if you work from anything else, then you're just wrong, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, again, my little anecdotal experience is like, that's not proven to be helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, all truth is our truth. Like, if it's true, then it's just true. And mm-hmm. it's from the Lord, and we can, and we can use it. Um, and I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm such a Bible guy. Uh, uh, like, I say it all the time. We always talk about just Scripture as the highest possible authority in our lives, the final arbiter on all issues. And yet, when I hear someone is seeing a biblical counselor, I, I, I get a little bit nervous and say, yeah. hey, can I, can I ask you a few follow-up questions about what that means? Um, because I, wh- I, what is the wisdom in taking, intentionally taking good tools out of our tool belt? So have you guys experienced that? Am I being unfair? We, <laughs> Not at all. We've personally experienced that. You yeah, know, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. we believe in individual counseling ourselves. We believe in couples counseling. Um, and we've been to couples counseling before. And uh, we've been to biblical couples counseling. Um, mm-hmm. And those experiences have been really harmful to our marriage. Mm. Um, yeah. Now, I, you know, I don't want <clears throat> to... I think it's fair for you to say, like, when someone's a biblical counselor to say, let me ask you some questions about how you practice or, like, yeah. what, what your method of biblical counseling is. Because mm-hmm. um, I can only speak from, like, what we know and um, what we've encountered. But I think part of the problem is the is sort of, like, the shame-based counseling around, like, yeah. you need to be praying more or you need to be doing this more. And if you were doing those things, then you wouldn't be experiencing problems mm-hmm. and what happens is that people shut down I mean we even know that from counseling if we tell people you need to be exercising if you were exercising right. more you wouldn't mm-hmm. be depressed uh-huh. we know not to do that because don't it, let it's, that be my mantra it's, yeah it's shame based <laughs> counseling it makes people feel worse it makes yeah. people not feel safe with you anymore and it makes people shut down Yeah, and we want people to be open to, to take risks to explore and challenge their internal processes and also take risks out in their life and in order to do that they need to feel supported and mm-hmm. That's, I think, the the line that was often crossed, at least with us, when we were in biblical counseling, mm-hmm. where we were told essentially that we were wrong, um, mm-hmm. or that yeah. we must not be praying enough, or mm-hmm. reading our Bible enough, or whatever it may be, um, to be experiencing problems in our marriage, or just in our emotional health. Yeah. yeah. So, what bothers me about that mm-hmm. is the term biblical counseling. I love the Bible. Yeah. Right. And if right. it's shame-based or fear-based, then it's then it's actually not biblical no matter how many verses are quoted in the process. Yeah. So, if you have if you are seeing a biblical counselor, you're considering that I'm I'm not saying that that's bad. Right. Um but but I am saying it's as you well what you said. I'll repeat what you said. It's okay to ask some questions. Yeah. And and try to clarify things. Rob, I think I, I think I stepped on on you you're about to say something oh. there. Well, I mean, it, it, if anybody has seen me a few times, they know I at some point will will mention the words either futility or hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, if you're feeling that, certainly if you're feeling it seeing me, then I want you to tell me that because I want us to navigate. We, we want to see what causes that and work on it, mm-hmm. but we don't want therapy to be a place where you feel like you're just drowning. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to a, like a biblical counselor, yeah, like, I want to feel encouraged. I want to feel close to the Lord. I want to feel like I'm, uh, you know, on mission, all, all these good things. So I feel like if you are seeing a, a biblical counselor or therapist who is engaging you in a way that feels like you're able to do that, they're probably doing something right. If, you, if you've asked them these questions, right. nothing really alarming. But if they have this idea and you come away with, oh, well, I've tried praying, and I've tried, you know, putting blocks on my, you know, phone, and mm-hmm. I've tried confessing every last weird thought in mm-hmm. my head to my wife, and I've tried doing all these things mm-hmm. ad nauseum, and mm-hmm. actually, I don't feel better, I feel worse. Mm-hmm. And the therapist is going to 
A, get on to me, and B, tell me to do more of the same. They're, yeah. they're going to encourage that futility. That is not therapy. Right. So that's, because therapy is all about getting better or healing. Right. So that's where I would say it's not, like you said, it's not about the Bible. And in the same way, like, people who have this idea, everything I need I can get from the Bible, it's kind of an unfair comparison. Mm-hmm. Because you wouldn't say that if somebody said, oh, I've got a problem with my toilet. You wouldn't uh-huh. say, why don't you go pray about it? You'd call a plumber. <laughs> or when you go to yeah. like the, the fast food or whatever, you know, any restaurant, mm-hmm. you don't say, give me a Bible verse. You say, give me a sandwich. Uh-huh. So when you go to therapy, like, I, I feel like it's just a false comparison that people make mm-hmm. that like throwing a book at someone mm-hmm. will, you know, somehow fix it. And it can be, it's obvious how those things can be, um, can be confused uh, because mm-hmm. they, there is a, a tremendous amount of overlap yeah. between mental sure. experience, between spiritual experience. There, there's lots of great sort of, um, there's lots of great counsel in scripture that mm. that will apply sure. to almost any situation mm. or, or to any situation. Um, uh, there, and so, and the Holy Spirit is our counselor. Like mm-hmm. these are mm. these are biblical ideas. Um, it just makes me sad to see other good tools being set aside mm-hmm. as if they're not spiritual um, when they've been, you know, found to be useful to people. And and in my eyes, I see them as gifts from God then. Mm-hmm. That's the common grace of God. If he's made this available to us, then, you know, mm-hmm. just like, he, you know, I've got a plunger available to me. You reference plumbing. I was like, I'm right. not going to not use it because I can't find a verse for plunger. Right, right, um, right. That's, that's a pretty good way to, it's a pretty good way to think of it. Um, go ahead. I also don't, th- you know, my perspective on therapy, you could disagree, but I, my perspective oh is it, it really isn't about advice giving. So if you are seeing, right. even if you're seeing a secular counselor, mm-hmm. if that person is giving you advice on how you should do things or how you should navigate situations, then I would be, um, I would question that or be cautious about that. Mm-hmm. The therapist's role is to really help you discover and navigate what's working, what's not working, and help you decide on what the next steps are. Mm-hmm. And so that includes exploring who, who, what your identity is, what your spirituality is, what's most important to you. So f- like in my practice and in therapy, everything is game. Um, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you Bible verses and I'm not going to give you advice on that. That's where I think there can be a beautiful pairing between like a a counselor and a pastor Mm -hmm. where the pastor can sort of guide spiritually and use the Bible for counseling and things Mm -hmm. like that. Whereas the therapist is really helping you navigate what's going on internally and making Mm -hmm. different choices that work for you and help you reach your goals and values in life. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of those can be your faith and your spirituality. Um, and that's where I think I personally and professionally struggle with biblical counseling because I, I do see it as more of a c- coaching. Kind mm. of plug and chug. Yeah, like <laughs> you should be praying more or like, um, the, the you know, let's explore these Bible verses and like this is this is what you need to do or whatever. It just feels more directive and like more coaching yeah. um, versus kind of my approach to therapy. Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I won't push back too hard. I, I am guilty of like sending people homework and, and handouts and things to look at. And I'll be like, oh, I think this. But I do that and I try, and, and if I have a client listening, you know, get on to me. I, I try to ask throughout the session. I'll say, but but please tell me, like, do you feel this? Do you connect to this? Does this sound like you? Like, it's not about me. It's not about me knowing here's what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, we, we hate that. And I, even if it's something that's like, like the exercise you mentioned, even if it's something that like we know we should be doing, mm-hmm. when somebody else tells you to do it, ugh, you, you yeah. get that defensiveness. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it really needs to be like, hey, I'm thinking this is like a tool that seems like it could be something good for you to explore. Uh-huh. Give me feedback if that works. <laughs> and I love it if someone comes back and says, no, Rob, like be breathing. <laughs> that made me worse. Like, you know, okay, okay. Yeah. Like, let's, let's figure out what works for you. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, well, otherwise it's information without connection. Yeah, and, and right. That's not super valuable. Right. And lo- lots of us know better without doing better, and that's really not the bright. I think mm-hmm. we all probably. I mean, by and large, we pretty much know what we should do. The problem right. is we don't do it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so just uh, we already have directives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But can you give us the tools to actually, you know, fulfill those things? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. One more, one more thought here. I just, want, and I'm, boy, I'm probably really going to put you guys on the spot here. <laughs> but um, last couple of weeks at church, we've been talking about how to how to accept God's love, mm. how to trust God, um, yeah. and trying to be honest about how difficult that is mm-hmm. um, to to accept and embrace the fact that we're loved unconditionally, completely, absolutely. That forgiveness covers all. I mean, it's. It's hard, mm-hmm. and yeah. then finding ways to trust, especially trust a God who we can't necessarily see or interact with the way we interact with one another. I mean, those trust is hard always. Um, um, so I, I wonder, since we've sort of been challenging the church uh, to accept love and to move toward trust, mm-hmm. and I've been trying to pull from my pastor tool belt <laughs> to help equip people to do that. I wonder if either of you would have any. Any suggestions? Uh, maybe pulling from your own tool belts to say how how can we if we're really someone says I'm I'm just struggling to accept love in any relationship I'm tr- I'm struggling to trust even when that trust would be a valid and reasonable kind of trust and I can't and I feel I feel stuck I wonder if there's any sort of way you might nudge or encourage people um, to to maybe think about that or some tools they might they might employ. Hmm. I, th- I think it's important to acknowledge that it is really difficult to do. Hmm. I think the way we're hardwired as humans is that we want things to be simple and easy and complete. And so trusting God, I think is, is a process and it hmm. is continual. I mean, it d- depends on the season that you're in as well. So there are hmm. going to be, times in your life when it feels more difficult to trust and other times in your life where you might it might come easier to you mm-hmm. and I think um, we all want it to to be sort of like the same and sort of yeah. easy and um, really clear mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's part of what we are as humans we, we depend on God so if we don't have moments of doubt then we don't have points to turn back to God. So I do feel like it's this flexible Mm -hmm. um, process of opening up and trusting God. And so if you find yourselves in moments of like doubt or struggling or not trusting in God, one thing that I think keeps people stuck is saying things like, I'll never get there or Mm -hmm. I'll never trust in God or this is really difficult or I just don't feel it yet or I think like looking for a specific sign or moment to connect with God or trust in God, mm-hmm. I think limits people and being able mm-hmm. to find that flexibility in that process of, of learning to trust in God. I just don't think it's the same always, right. um, but we, we like things to be the same always. We like them to be predictable. Yeah. But part yeah. of what I was yeah. thinking when you're saying, Hey, it's, it's dynamic. It's not static. Um, I was also thinking, well, I, I wouldn't actually want it to be like, I like the idea of it. But the truth is that sounds really boring and it doesn't sound like living life yeah. if, if, if it's static and predictable and if there's not an ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the, the, the process of, of, love, of accepting love and trusting in the first place, um, it's, that's, it's not a, a, a switch that gets flipped, mm-hmm. you know? I've I've never been completely void of trust, and I don't think I've ever trusted completely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like it's some it's it's in a range, mm-hmm. and it's nothing. It's not. It, I've never once fully accepted all of God's love for me. If so, as I said a couple weeks ago, I think I'd die of Explode. joy yeah. if I did. <laughs> and so it it is going to. We're not looking again. That's magical thinking for that moment where it just it all clicks and mm-hmm. and now I accept the love, and now I can really, 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 really trust. Um, we're always sort of striving, sort of built into it. Mm-hmm. But we're kind of, I think we're kind of built to strive and to, yeah. you know, and to dig. What about you, Robert? How, what would you say to it? I mean, I, I just think it's not an accident. I mean, there's so much 
deep dive stuff I could look at if we wanted to nerd out on the Bible. But <laughs> it's not an accident that if you look at most of these kind of patriarchs and big characters in the Old Testament, even even in the New Testament, so many of the the if you if you did like a character analysis, like Moses and he's trying to pawn things off to someone else and yeah. Gideon and the all the little questions and um Gideon think, was a mess. He was it's interesting, and, and you finally get to Jacob, and he's wrestling with God, and he's named like wrestles with God. You know, like Israel's such a profound name. Um, it's very clear to me that God does not want a bunch of like American John Wayne Christians. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want movie stars. He doesn't want you with it all put together. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want you. He actually doesn't want you to do it all on your own. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want you to like That's grow right. up live in your mansion by yourself and have no health issues ever. He actually really wants to find you in your weakness. Mm-hmm. And I've run into so many folks and I would, if I had nothing else I could say today, if you know, when it comes to faith, if you've heard faith or trust in the word in the word or in God means I have this a hundred percent confidence and like, there's not a drip, a doubt mm-hmm. or fear or discomfort. Like that is not biblical. Mm-hmm. That is a, a lie. Run away from it. Yeah. And in fact, like that's the very thing you should take to God and take to your your pastor, your community. Like that's a good place mm-hmm. to be. Because um, because if you don't, then what do you have? You either have you striving in your own efforts mm-hmm. and being a sure you're a movie star, but you're not mm-hmm. necessarily a Christian, or or it's all your fault. Yeah. And I think that was a lot of the the bad advice and stuff we got over the years. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just I'm just failing at being a good, you know, whatever, good good mm-hmm. husband, a good, you know, brother in Christ, a good whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like I just I can't Christian enough. Mm-hmm. And that's <laughs> it's like not at all what Yeah. Christ is here for the weary, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, the weary and heavy laden. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I, I just think you were talking about that. I was like, yeah. Unfortunately, there are, there are pockets of Christianity where it, people get pushed toward either that legalism or everything's got to be perfect. And then what's interesting though, if they sort of give up on that and then pop into, especially like a secular social media thing, then they're going to get bombarded with like, especially like the sort of the new <laughs> the new wave of influencers who are like, yeah. are you crushing it today? Are you giving one hundred and ten percent for five hours right. before anyone right. else is even awake? And if not, you know, it's like, ah, oh, that's, oh, that's the same stuff packaged right. in just with different, different terminology, different vocab. And yeah. it's like, are you completely self-actualized in every way? It's like, no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm weary and heavy, heavy laden. Right. And to that, she says, okay, that's, that's actually who I'm looking for. Yeah. Those are the growth places. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why we grow in the dirt. The reason why, <laughs> why poop makes great fertilizer. <laughs> right. You know? right. Those are the growth spots. That's where I think like culture, like our culture in America really goes against what Christianity says around being vulnerable and being in community and supporting one another. We do have these messages in our culture just around crushing it and, Uh you know, being perfect and doing it on your own and you've Mm -hmm. got this and um, Mm -hmm. we just aren't hardwired. We're not built that way. Um, And so I think that's where we see, uh, mental health problems too is in this culture of like you having mm-hmm. to do it on your own mm-hmm. having to figure it out being a hundred percent being perfect mm-hmm. and we're not built that way mm-hmm. um, and a lot of a lot of relationships a lot of things that we look at in life with that has nothing to do with us like personally we start measuring them like accomplishments mm-hmm. the number of times i'm talking to someone and they're like i didn't get there like I didn't reach marriage with this person or mm. we didn't have X amount of sex this week or something. I'm like, mm. well, you know, it's 50, 50, like it right. is kind of on the other person, but like, mm. it's just, it's so sad that the person's like a little bit brainwashed. I feel like by a lot of our cultural standards that, mm. you know, well, if you're not doing that, something's wrong. Something's right. horribly wrong with you. Right. Mm-hmm. Achieve, 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 achieve. Yeah. And, and I'm, and, and we can, I mean, I'm talking to two high-achieving, highly educated people <laughs> who can acknowledge that yeah, you could. You, that doesn't mean don't be ambitious and don't try to do your best. 
but the the constant unrelenting mm. nail it or it's failure mm-hmm. is yeah. is exhausting and not biblical and not at all helpful um yeah mm. and so i, I and I, one of the things that really stands out from what you guys are saying and at different times you guys mentioned isolation mm-hmm. and yeah. uh um i again i'm a pastor my world is church my lenses are church um and i, I just think man to be meaningfully connected in the body of christ makes such mm. such a difference yeah. um and so I'm so glad you guys are a part of our church. And, we are too. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, taking a big chunk of time here. I know you guys are super busy. It was hard to schedule because you're busy, and you you would be busy even if you didn't have the dreaded four and two. Uh, <laughs> dreaded. Yeah. It's yeah. it's also the most fun four and two. It's also the most exhausting. <laughs> they are um, hilarious. Four and yeah. six was most fun actually for us, but. But Something to look forward, forward to. Forward to is wild. <laughs> but it's a chunk of time. I really appreciate you guys yeah. coming and sharing your expertise. It was really helpful to us. You guys are the best. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right.